depression, disgrace. <laughs> Evil as plain as a scar on his face. Anyway, are you ready to fool around for another year? <laughs> I am, actually. Oh, my goodness. Got some fool-ass topics coming your way, listeners. My question is, are you ready to fool around? Carrie. (laughs) We are going to be on opposite sides of the aisle today. (laughs) Yeah, we are. But the American people will respect both viewpoints, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you to everyone listening to us in Illinois. Let's get to it, then. Together, you and I can make a difference in (laughs) Illinois. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we are the bosses of our own brains. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2011 science fiction comedy horror film, Cabin in the Woods. It's actually The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, get it right. The Cabin in the Woods. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, guys, full ass films. Happy April. Happy April, everybody. We are examining parody genre films Uh, this month. Oh, and are we ever. Yeah. Oh, are we ever. We're going to take you through the motions, guys. Ross has been resisting doing Cabin in the Woods for a very long time. We'll get into it. We'll we'll, we'll get into it here in a minute. I promise I'll explain. Ah, I will. Oh, my God. Before we get started, guys, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. Hopefully, we're checking the email. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> One of us. Please be practicing the three R's, everybody. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, everyone. We'd love to see some engagement out there. Please and thank you. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, folks, please go check out the Patreon. Guys, there's never been a better time to give us your money. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, things are warming up out there. March rains and April showers. Ah. Uh. Uh, it'll be good. Oh, my God. And guys... For just $5 a month, you can get access to all of our bonus content, all of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. It's all over there waiting for you right now. And you, too, can become a Little Onion contributor at the $5 level. It's two guaranteed posts a month. And guys, we've got long-form in the works. We do. It's coming. It's coming. It is coming. But until then, please <laughs> please enjoy our quiz shows and our <laughs> shooting the shit and our movie reviews. Oh, man. We're getting into television this month. Don't worry. We're getting in there. Yeah, we're getting it. Um, and if you want access to our full catalog of main feed goodness, guys, you go on over to our Podbean page. There you can get a custom RSS link and you can listen in any player of your choosing. All right. Are you ready to initiate the scenario? Oh, my God. I... <laughs> He's not. Since you come first, when was the first time you saw this? Oh, man. God, I feel like like 2011, I would have been 17, 18 years old, somewhere in there. And like, I feel like I saw this not too long after it came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but I probably saw it when it came out on DVD. And I was, God, I just loved it so much. You were actually in college by the time it came out. Yeah, I feel like that's true. But like the first time I saw it, I loved it a lot. Ross does not agree, but we'll get there. We will get there. We'll get there. (laughs) 
Because we're going to take you this month through several different parody genres, right? Mm-hmm. Four different ones. And we decided, guys, we were going to do Scary Movie. We were. And then we realized what a stain it is on our culture. <laughs> and so we changed it to this. There was a little hand-holding yeah. involved to get us to do The Cabin in the Woods. And we're starting off with our horror genre of parody, <laughs> right? Or, or, or uh, sorry, genre horror parody. Parody yeah. horror genre. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, horror genre. Horror parody genre. Horror. <laughs> horror parody genre. Look at all this. What is that? Diary of Anna Patience Buckner. And there's something in Latin. Do not read the Latin. Dana. Dolor super vivo igneo animus. Seriously, believe nothing weird is going on. We have a winner! It's the Buckners, ladies and gentlemen! The Buckners pull the W. Let's get this party started! Monsters. Magic. You understand what's at stake. We should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? Gotta keep the customer satisfied. I honestly can't remember exactly where it was. It was a hangout sesh. It was something. I almost feel like I saw this film for the first time in 2014 in Jimmy Vedder's bedroom. That's a very fair uh, assumption. Or I either saw it with, I also want to say Harrison. Yeah. Maybe in his basement. It was in Jimmy's bedroom or Harry's basement. I can't remember. Harrison strikes me as a person who would love this film. I think, now that you say that, I think it was Harrison. (laughs) But he, we were watching it and I either wasn't paying attention the whole time or I was off doing something else. And I like caught the end of it and I was like, this is stupid (laughs) because I thought that this was like a remake of something. No. I thought this was a remake of an old horror movie from like the 70s or something. But doesn't it feel like that? I mean, yeah, I thought it was just like, and I was like, oh my God. When we got to the end, everybody was like, what? And I was like, are you serious? (laughs) Like, it just is not, it was not entertaining to me in the moment. So I just kind of swore off the film. And I decided to, like I said, some handholding was required. Gary was like, come on, we'll just, you know, we'll try it. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I didn't give it enough of a chance the first time around. You know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be different with 2020 vision. No. <laughs> okay. No, I I have similar thoughts, but we will get into those. And guys, that's my opinion. It is. It doesn't mean that it's not good just because I don't think it's not good. Uh-huh. I don't think that. <laughs> we are not. 
the end-all be-all of film critique here at Kicking and Streaming. Well, I am very Jed Bartlett today. I'm like, okay, you're wrong. Stand there in your wrongness and be wrong. I get it. I get it. And you're allowed to be that way. (laughs) Because, guys, today what we have is a giant commentary on the teen slasher horror drama. Sure. It is. With 30-year-olds. Exactly. It's a genre so specific, yet so widely repeated. You know, the scenario is almost always that we have a group of teens or young adults who go out to a remote location to have some fun, and while they're there, they encounter either supernatural or real-world forces that drive them to horror and violence, right? Exactly. And, you know, usually with these stories, there are archetypes. We usually have a jock alpha male character, right, who drives a lot of the narrative moves. He's like the Fred, if we were going to compare this to the Scooby gang. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's like the Fred. He's like, okay, let's split up. Okay, let's stay together. Those kinds of things. And then we usually have a brain character, like the Velma, who drives a lot of the logic in the narrative based on their own knowledge, right? And we have a girl character who has, quote... Just a girl. (laughs) Just a girl character. No, seriously, in in almost every iteration of this narrative... Someone needs to get Daphne'd. Yeah, no. (laughs) We have a Daphne-type character who has, quote, loose morals, usually gets kidnapped or is engaging in premarital sex... She's supposed to embody youth and indiscretion, but typically is encoded with misogyny, right? We said like the Scooby gang. Yeah. Like it. Like the Scooby gang. Not that it is the Scooby gang. No, I am not coming for Daphne on this one. (laughs) And then we have the goofy character who has the comic relief, makes us feel something when they finally die, right? Mm. Because we've become endeared to them and all of their quips and comedic timing. And then we always, 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 we have have what I call the final girl character, who is usually a contrast to the girl with loose morals, right? Ver- Scooby. Yeah, Scooby. Are you kidding me? I'm kidding, no. Scooby is the final no, girl? No, I'm, I'm joking. Absolutely not. No, yeah, this final girl is usually a contrast to the girl with the loose morals, right? Mm. She's virginal, innocent, she's got good judgment. I hate that word that you just said. Virginal? Virginal. Yeah. She usually is, because somehow, as an audience, we're made to feel like she should have lived the longest, right? Because she didn't make, quote, questionable choices. And by questionable choices, I mean anything that most housewives in America or Nancy Reagan would find objectionable, right? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's the kind of narrative we're dealing with today. And it's going to be a very big parody on the literally innumerous times this has been repeated throughout the horror genre. I just do not think it does it well. Okay. I think it's mid in a lot of places. I think it's a great meta storytelling movie. And it doesn't really make any sense because they have a great, we have a great team here today. Yeah, we do. We've got a lot of talented people on this production. So we've got Drew Goddard, right? He Mm -hmm. directs. I mean, he started out his career, he wrote episodes of like, Angel mm-hmm. and Lost yep. and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh. Yeah, I know. He also wrote Cloverfield, <gasps> oh. which we love Cloverfield. We do love Cloverfield. Like, I do like me some found footage. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do. I do. Thanks, Blair Witch. Um, we've got... <laughs> 
He did World War Z. He did The Martian. Yeah. He wrote The Martian. So, and I love The Martian. I mean, Matt Damon. Matt Damon all He's a good actor, but like, I just don't, (laughs) I would not hang out with him. (laughs) Guys, Joss Whedon wrote this film. He's been with us here before. Joss Whedon. I have a lot of complicated feelings about Joss Whedon. I mean, you love him because of Firefly. Yeah, I do. You like him because of Firefly. He did Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Um, the fucking MCU. <laughs> yep. I, Agents of the Shield or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know. It's a TV show. He was. Uh, he was, He is the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep. And, you know, most of us have a lot of feelings about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, also Angel, which is a spin off of Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer. Uh, guys, he wrote Toy Story. Yeah. I like, why am I so disappointed in this? He wrote <laughs> Toy Story. It's one of my favorite movies. Ah, <laughs> oh, fucking Avengers. <laughs> I know. I'm sick of it anyway. <laughs> this movie did make, well, you know, it only made $36 million. Well, actually, if you look at the gross from both the United States and Canada. And I'm not. Uh, well, I am. I don't care. I am, what? and it made $46.6 million. Yeah, 10 off. Uh-huh. What's $10 million, really, to the film industry? And it's also worth mentioning at this point that this film does have a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And we don't need to set every uh, thing we have by Rotten Tomatoes. But sometimes Ross is just wrong. I mean, sometimes I'm <laughs> right, though, because, like, I just feel, I don't know, it's just... <laughs> We're obviously going to get into it. I cannot believe how many notes you have have, compared to how many notes I have. I have like eight pages of notes. So, (laughs) guys, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Oh, boy. Playing Dana Polk, the uh, college student designated as the Virgin. Or the final girl. Or the final girl. We've got Kristen Connolly. I love Kristen Connolly. She plays Christina Gallagher on House of Cards. Really? She's the secretary to... Uh, Congressman Russo, the oh. guy that the first guy that Frank blackmails into getting power. Okay, when he's like pretending to take a call from the president-elect, and Kristen Connolly is on the other end going, "I want you to put your tongue in between my legs and no! make me squeal like Monica Lewinsky." Absolutely like, not. Yeah, no, I I like Christina's character in that show. Um, sh- and then playing Kurt Vaughn, a football jock designated as the athlete. He's the Fred. Yeah, he sure is. We've got Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Yikes. No, what do you mean, yikes? I don't want to talk about the MCU. He's so beautiful, though, Rob. He's Thor. He's Thor. And, like, I... Uh, oh, he's amazing. He's one of them Hemsworths, see? He's... <laughs> I... Uh, Not the Hemsworth we all hate right now. I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> Why? Because they're annoying. <laughs> the Hemsworth. Being hot is not a talent. <laughs> he was good in Thor. That's it. <laughs> All right. And every film trailer you see him in, it's for his body. Like, I... <laughs> anyway, playing Jules Loudon, the pre-med student, yeah. Kurt's girlfriend, designated as the whore. Yeah, barf. Yeah. We've got Anna Hutchinson, or Hutchison, pardon me. I hate that. Just put an N in it. <laughs> Anna Hutchison. She's from New Zealand? She is she really? She's from New Zealand. Oh. Well then again, Chris Hemsworth's from Australia. What a happy event. Uh, yeah. 
We're all going to heaven. We're all going to heaven. Oh my god. Um, she is. Uh, she's from Spartacus, uh, War of the Damned. Uh, she's Sasha in Anger Management. Uh, she's on Shortland Street from like the early aughts. Wow. Uh, she was the Yellow Cheetah Ranger on Power Rangers Jungle Fury. Hey, baby. <laughs> as the best person in this film, <laughs> as Marty Mikulski. The burnout pothead college student designated as the fool. Mm-hmm. We have Fran Grads. Here's my favorite piece of trivia about this entire film. You notice that throughout this film, even as they're going out to the lake and getting naked and getting in the lake, Marty is the only character that doesn't get in the lake. Do you know why? Why? It's because Fran is actually an incredibly jacked human being. Oh, and they didn't want anyone to see his body? No, he's more muscular than Chris Hemsworth. He's cute out of all that makeup. Oh, he's beautiful. I love him. Yeah, no, he's a cutie. He's adorable to me. Oh my god, he was... (laughs) He was in the Broadway revival of Death of a Salesman. Yeah. He was Bernard. Oh, I love that. He's also in the, uh, I think, didn't Goddard and Whedon do Much Ado About Nothing in 2012? Or somewhere about. Oh, no, it was jo- it was just Joss Whedon. It was Claudio. Oh, yep, that tracks. Absolutely. That al- absolutely tracks. You'll also know him because he's Topher Brink from Dollhouse. Uh-huh. That's another Joss Whedon project. Uh, yeah, him and Joss Whedon are butt buddies, I guess. <laughs> All right, as Holden McRae, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Ross likes Holden. Uh, Kurt's football teammate designated as the scholar. He's way too hot to be that smart, is all I'm saying. I think he's an engineering major. Whatever. Um, (laughs) We got Jesse Williams. Um, You'll know him as Dr. Jackson Avery from Grey's Anatomy. Woo! Yeah. Oh, he was in The Butler. Yeah. Yeah. He was in Distant Strangers. He was in Take Me Out. uh, Detroit, Become Human. That's a video game. Yeah, it is. Yeah. uh, Wow. (laughs) That's all over the place. All right. Getting into the weirdos. The weirdos? There is a, there is the entity in the film known as the facility. Uh Uh-huh. Here we go. Playing Gary Sitterson, a facility technician, is Richard Jenkins. You'll know him from HBO Six Feet Under, Step Brothers, Jack Reacher, Shape of Water. Playing Steve Hadley, another facility <laughs> technician. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Bradley Whitford. See, listen, if nothing else, I thought you would really enjoy Bradley Whitford in this film. I have to save everything I have for the coverage. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I, I, I I cannot say anymore. Obviously, he was with us when we covered the West Wing. We covered the pilot of the West Wing because he's Josh Lyman from the West Wing. <laughs> Krusty the Clown. He's the not racist dad from Get Out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. Billy Madison. Brooklyn. He's been on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You will also know him as Commander Joseph Lawrence from Who Lose the Handmaid's Tale. Oh, I know you love that. I will not him, but I love that show. <laughs> As Daniel Truman, uh, the security officer at the facility, is Brian J. White. Ooh. I know him from one place. Oh, I bet I know what it is. Go ahead. May I guess? Yes. Is it I Can Do Bad All By Myself? It is I Can Do Bad All By Myself. He's the, he's the, there's always, there's always a rapey guy in those Tyler Perry movies, and he's that rapey guy. Uh... He's also in Good Deeds, 12 Rounds. I am so sorry. How dare I slander him? (gasps) Welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. Well, where has he been? He was with us when we covered the Family Stone. 
That's right. Yeah. He, oh, he's the, oh. He's one of the husbands of one of the kids. He's Teddy's boyfriend yeah, or yeah. husband. One of those. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm sorry, Brian. I did not mean to discount you there. Playing Mordecai, the gas station attendant. <laughs> We've got Tim Desarn. Uh, I'm just well, going to mention him. <laughs> Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming as the zombie form of Patience Buckner, Jodell Furland. Ross, this was a revelation to me. She was with us when we covered Silent Hill because she played Melissa Gillespie and Sharon. Yeah. Sharon, uh... I don't know, De Silva. Yeah, Sharon yeah. De Silva. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, oh my God. Because the whole time, even with the zombie makeup, I was like, I recognize that little girl. Where is she from? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, holy shit. I like Isabel. What's her name? The bitch that plays Orphan. That's the chicken orphan. Uh-huh. But why wasn't it Jodell Furland? I... That's what I wonder. Yeah. Guy, Silent Hill, Tideland, the 2002 version of Carrie, Kingdom Hospital. Oh, good luck, Chuck. She's also notable for being in the Twilight Saga. She was in Eclipse. Okay, do you want to talk about easily the most topping? Wait, no. What am I trying to say? No, this is the thing. This is this is one of the points I came in on the movie when I saw it the first time. Was there at the end. And who the fuck shows up <laughs> as the director of the facility? The mastermind <laughs> behind this whole lost plot. <laughs> Please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, my God. Guys, she was with us when we covered Holes. She was with us when we covered Ghostbusters. She was with us when we covered The Village. Oh, man. This is like her fourth time. And it's her fourth or fifth. I can't remember. Gosh, she's oh, a- Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. So yeah. it's like number five. It is like number five. Sigourney, we love having you. We oh, do. Our queen. Our queen. Guys, she's Ellen Ripley from the Alien Saga. Yeah, my God. And I mean, fucking Avatar. <laughs> she's Dr. Grace Augustine. And also, weirdly, Jake Sully's kid from Way of Water. Anyway. Anyway. That's some Tom, that's some Tom Hanks shit right there. Anyway. Guys, I'm not going to try and keep us here long. Oh, you're not? I'm not. <laughs> Does that mean I'm driving? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll be in the backseat bitching if you need me. <laughs> okay, oh all right. So. I wrote, my first note was, all right, I have railed against this from the beginning, but let's give it another shot. And then my second <laughs> note was, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Listen, listen. I just, I just invite you to not be a jaded adult about this. That's all I'm saying. Thank you for the invitation. I think I'll have to decline. Okay. All right. So the opening is wild. Oh, the opening is wild because, like you mentioned during "We've Got Names," we begin in the quote facility, right? Yeah. And we open with two characters named Hadley and Sitterson. Yeah. Who are a couple of white-collar guys working in an undisclosed laboratory-type location. White-collar guys. They are white-collar. They're literally wearing white collars. I know, but it's like, like this is some random nine-to-five. Like, like, but they're higher-ups. Like, they're important to this operation, They right? got security clearances. The they government should. is masking their identity identities for sure. Guys, Stockholm went south. Seriously? I thought they were looking good. What cracked? I haven't seen the footage where it's just going around. Well, that's never been a stable scenario. Everyone knows you can't trust Swedes. That means there's just Japan. Japan and us. Well, it's not the first time it's come down to that. Japan has a perfect record. We're number two. We try harder. (laughs) 
I wrote, not Bradley Whitford. <laughs> not to start out with, is what I said. <laughs> it's so funny because it's really important that we impart upon you all at this moment how normal all of this looks at first blush. I mean, yeah, pretty normal. It does. A I mean, huge facility. If you knew nothing else about what was going on, doesn't this just look like a couple of Joes being at work? I think that if they had waited until later in the narrative mm-hmm. to introduce this, yeah. I would feel differently about it. Okay. All but right. It's like it's like if we were watching The Village and we knew the whole time for me. Yeah. You know, or like if you were watching The Sixth Sense and you knew it the whole time. I'm sorry, I just went to another Shyamalan <laughs> example. But like if you knew the secret the whole time. Like you would like a little more mystique. It's like when you're mad at me for reading ahead on shit. Okay. Only I'm mad about it this time. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And like this place, this laboratory they're in, this is not like a unique operation. This is a place that's in, quote, competition. With other facilities around the world. Yeah, similar operations from different countries. We don't know what it is yet, but we do know that as of right now, Whatever they're trying to accomplish, there are only two countries left with their hats in the ring to accomplish this goal. The United States and Japan, because Stockholm just failed. Yeah, Sweden is out. And like, this is just such a strange beginning for a horror movie about spooky times in the woods, right? I did write, so that opening was weird. Yeah, it is. And so we finally get to the main narrative of the story, which, as always, involves a group of college kids and all of these social groups, right, have archetypes. We kind of talked about this at the top. It's pretty much the same in all horror movies. We have our main heroine, Dana Polk. She is... The virgin. It, the Yeah. And listen, I hate that term. I mean, I wrote Redhead and Undies. I'm listening. Stop. And then I realized it was Kristen Connolly. And I was like, oh my God, it's Christina from House of Cards. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm really listening. Dana is, in my notes, the final girl. Or the girl who lives the longest. She's bookish. But yes, she's hot. Like, we've got to give the young boys something to look at, apparently. And we meet her best friend, Jules, or as she's known in the film, the whore. Or the girl who is kind of a little bit slutty and engaging in premarital sex. She's just recently dyed her hair blonde, almost like she was expecting to play this role. Mm. And like both Dana and her are students. In fact, all of our kids here today are students. Jules is trying to get Dana to get over her fixation on their college professor, who she's been kind of seeing. Gross. Yeah, it is gross. Not gross on her part. Not professional. Yeah, it's gross on the professor's part, for sure. While we are burning this picture. Oh, I'm not ready. Seriously, this isn't his fault. What's not his fault? Fucking his student or breaking up with her by email? I knew what I was getting into. Oh, please. And the friend group is getting ready to go on a camping trip together to their buddy Kurt's cousin's family cabin for the weekend, which is par for the course. How many horror movies have you seen that begin with a group of naive teenagers going out into the wilderness? Where are we? I think we're in the Northeast. Yeah? I mean, that's the that's the minimum of information I have on it. I'm just like, where's the government got this set up? Like, yeah, right? I'm just like, ugh. 
I did write, ugh. A Hemsworth, my nipples just inverted. Oh, stop! Being hot does not make you talented! But you can't deny that you like looking at him. No, I don't! <laughs> it annoys me! Okay. I'm like, anytime I see one of their smug faces, I'm like, ugh. Anyway. Anyway, we meet Jules's boyfriend, Kurt. Kurt is, yeah, like we said, kind of the jock type. But he's no dummy. He's a sociology major. And, like, very socially aware. Like, it's not like he's this empty-headed athlete-type archetype that the movie would want us to believe, right? Okay, seriously, Professor Bennett covers this whole book and his lectures. You should read this. Gorofsky. Now, this is way more interesting. Also, Bennett doesn't know it by heart, so I don't think you're insightful. Speaking of which, we also meet Holden, Kurt's friend. Holden, I believe, like I said, is an engineering student. He can hang. He's very smart. He will be the scholar archetype for this movie. I think Jules wants to set Dana up with Holden to get her away from the professor, right? I think I need tutoring. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> you think you need Holden to I, tutor you? I need him to you hold me. See, this is just such a demonstration of our differences in preferences for men, because I don't think Holden's that attractive, but apparently you're quite taken with him. You think the Hemsworths are attractive? I No, I think Chris Hemsworth is attractive, I mean, and that's yeah. because he didn't victimize Miley Cyrus. I didn't say they weren't hot. <laughs> just annoying. All right, fine. Anyway. <laughs> and then we meet my favorite character, our favorite character. We can agree on one thing. We can. Yes. And that is that Marty is the best character. We meet Marty. He's the stoner friend. He's like the shaggy of this group for sure. No doubt. Yeah. No like, doubt. He is. Yeah. I can tell in his performance, he's channeling Norval Shaggy Roberts for sure. Absolutely. Like, I just, my favorite thing about Marty is that, like, if you were going to sell Marty as an action figure, his one accessory, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Marty would definitely come with his telescopic bong that can be compressed down to look like a coffee thermos. Absolutely. <laughs> Just be sure you empty it first. Ah, <laughs> I love Marty. He is the best thing about this movie. <laughs> uh, do you want to spend the weekend in jail? Because we'd all like to check out my cousin's country home. Marty, honey, that's not okay. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. And he will bind them with ancient logics. So, he is us, because he's us. He is us. It's, he's everyone that got too baked and watched <laughs> the movie. So the friend group takes off in this old Rambler camper. So we're going on vacation? Yeah. To a cabin? Yes. In the woods. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> this is Curtis's cousin's cabin. I wrote, they're going to regret this? Question mark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I also took the note, these are unlikely good friends. I mean... That's all I'm saying. Like, you don't know of any social situations that would bring them all together, but somehow we're here. Yeah. I think it's because, at the beginning of the movie, these are all characters in their own right, but through machinations of the, quote, scenarios... There, set... there is a greater purpose here, yes. Yeah, so they will change, undoubtedly, throughout the narrative. But at the beginning, yeah, they're all good friends, and I have no reason to doubt that. 
We pan up from them taking off from Dana's apartment, and there is a guy on Dana's roof with an earpiece in his ear speaking into his mic being like, the nest is empty. We're right on time. I'm like, what? What the fuck? Who is this guy? I'm not okay. Uh, Not okay with that. This is a guy who obviously works for the facility. Yeah. And it's just like from the beginning, they're being watched. Something is being very carefully orchestrated here. And we're on the road, and Marty is excited about the fact that where they're going up into the mountains, there will be no cell reception, which is great for him because that means the, quote, man can't spy on him or track him. Yeah. Because, like, he's, I mean, his whole archetype is kind of like the paranoid stoner. And, like, everybody's making fun of him. This is the whole issue. Is society crumbling, Marty? No. Society is binding, right? It's filling in the cracks with concrete. Everything's filed or recorded or blogged, right? Chips in our kids' heads so they won't get lost. Society needs to crumble. We're all just too chicken shit to let it. Five, Mr. Rand. Um... I don't like that. What an ominous piece of foreshadowing, Marty. And listen, if that's not something straight out of your Twitter feed, I don't know what is. It's just not giving parody. Okay. Like, there are parodies that can be taken seriously, you know? I... Like, it's kind of... That's the thing. It's like not... It's like... The tonal inconsistency for you? It's like... It's like... It's like it doesn't even matter that it's parody. Well, yeah. Because it's just so not... Never mind. I just don't feel like anyone is throwing their whole pussy into this. Okay, fine. You know, anyway, going on. (laughs) Also, Marty rolls a messy joint. I expected better. It was messy. It was messy. I remember thinking that, too. I was like, I'm not smoking that. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the facility... Hadley and Sitterson are arriving in a control room and being greeted by another co-worker, Truman. This is Brian J. White, right? Not Brian J. White, I wrote. <laughs> no, that's a tongue twister. Not Brian J. White, I wrote. It's got all of these screens and buttons in this room of every conceivable shape and size. And like the more of you the more you see of this place, the more you're wondering. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, I know. How is this going to be related to the main narrative? Like, what could they possibly be watching from this control room? And, like, we we go back to the kids, and they're getting close to the cabin, but they're lost. So they stop for gas at this dumpy, out-of-the-way gas station, and this is where we get the classic, don't go up that there road. Yeah, no. <laughs> don't go up that there road, character. This is Mordecai. Yeah, this scene with this creepy local weirdo who's got a lot of cryptic and prophetic things to say about wherever they're going. Tolerum Road. Takes you up the hill there. Dead ends at the old bucket place. My cousin bought a house up there. You go through like a mountain tunnel, there's a lake. Would that be the... Buckner place. Always someone looking to sell that plot. You knew the original owners? Yeah, not the first. I've seen plenty come and go. His jaw is full of chewing tobacco. I... uh... And you can see the inbreeding back like three generations. 
I I know. Like Mordecai may be fine, but like, ugh, I just I, he's not. He, he's not. He's not. I wrote. Well, gas station guy was pleasant. Yeah, he calls Jules a whore. He does. <laughs> <laughs> like I, and he tells them about how the cabin they're going to has a long history of owners, and no one really stays very long. Which isn't this always the case? It is. And I love Marty. Well, good luck with your business, sir. I know the railroad's coming through here any day now. That's going to be big. Streets paved with actual street. Fucker. I was wondering if you could tell me how to get to Silent Hill. (laughs) Doesn't seem to be on the map. Uh, (laughs) Why would you want to go there? I've read about it. Yeah, Bro, no. don't go through it no more. This might as well be Sticky Jims, right? <laughs> yeah, Sticky Jims! <laughs> <laughs> you can get yourself a tart change and a tattoo. And a tattoo, absolutely. <laughs> as they're going through the mountain tunnel, we see this hawk flying along the rocks next to the camper. And when they come out the other side of that tunnel, we see the hawk just smash into some kind of invisible force field. I must have missed that entirely. No, yeah. I thought you were about to reveal that it was a robot or something. No, this is like a la Hunger Games, remember? The octagonal shaped force field that's around the entire area throughout Hunger Games. Yeah. And you're like, Very Truman Show. Excuse me, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Oh, Ross, you're right. The Truman Show vibes. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And they roll up to this cabin. And I wrote, nice cabin. <laughs> Which, listen, Ross is not as dedicated a student of the horror as I am. But this this cabin looks exactly like the cabin from Evil Dead, which is big hilarious. And from the moment they arrive, there are these creepy, eerie vibes, like creaky doors, eerie wind, mid-20th century furniture. I didn't know that we were in the wizarding world. Really? Undetectable extension charm if there ever was one. You go inside this tiny ass, it's so huge inside. But it looks so little on the outside. Yeah, it's like the tent at the at the Quidditch World Cup. It's like... Or like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Yeah, it's like, why is this so big on the inside? I wrote, <laughs> it's a whole lot bigger inside than on the outside. And like, Holden picks his bedroom, which has a big disgusting painting of an animal sacrifice on the wall. Yeah, some ram getting torn apart and eaten. By, and, I don't know. I'm with him. I would also take it off the wall. He would, nope. <laughs> and when he takes it off the wall, guys, uh, guys, yeah, guys, <laughs> Dana the virgin is in the room next to him. And we know that because there's a two-way mirror. See, I've never agreed with the naming convention of that. I feel like it should be called a one-way mirror. Isn't it? Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't know. Well, for a sure. one-way mirror, doesn't that suggest that you can see? I'm. You know what? I don't <laughs> care. There's a mirror that he can see through into her room that she thinks is just a mirror. Yeah. Let us know. At kick and stream. Is it one <laughs> way or two way? I can't remember. And he raises the alarm like, hey, this is weird. That's just creepy. It was pioneer days. People had to make their own interrogation rooms. Where did your cousin buy this place from? We should check the rest of the rooms, make sure this is the only one. So you know Marty wants to watch his pound it away. I ain't even like hearing that. How about we switch? Not that I'd, I mean, I'd put the picture back, but you might feel better if we switched rooms. Like, at least 
he did not let that fester, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they check all the other rooms. Nothing else seems suspicious. And Holden even offers to switch rooms with her so she doesn't feel weird about it. Even though she can now see him get naked. She can see his chiseled ass. (laughs) Good for Dana. And as she's putting a blanket over the upsetting ritual sacrifice painting... We fade back into the facility, this super secret corporation control oh, yeah. room. She's on screen. Yeah. And we're fading into the facility and I'm like, ah, they're they're creeps. They've got surveillance on every room in this cabin and they know who everybody is in each room and they're keeping very detailed notes about it. And like they're talking about all of these adjustments that they're making to the quote scenario. First of all, I will say this from the top because even though Jules is painted as the quote whore, like Jules is actually a very smart, well-possessed individual. She's pre-med. Yeah, but we're going to reduce her to dumb whore. Because remember, she just dyed her hair blonde, right? Yeah. And someone from the chem department, I think it's Amy, is like, we put a cognitive inhibitor in the hair dye, right? That will go in through her scalp and make her dumber? Yeah. We've got the blood work back on Loudon. Her levels are good, but we're recommending a 50 milligram bump of rohyptase to increase libido. So. Do we pipe it in or do you want to do it orally? Oh, ask me that again, only slower. You're a pig. Yes, how we're slowing down cognition. I don't know. The hair dye. Dumb blonde, very artistic. Works its way into the blood through the scalp. Very gradual. And a cognitive inhibitor. I think that's what she calls it. Yeah, yeah. And like there's also a chemical agent that they've released into the air to increase libido in all of the participants. My God. Like they're introducing all of these fixed circumstances into the quote scenario. So that the kids will act a certain way. Which when you think about our... Which we know the end game here. Yeah. I mean, they probably do too. Yeah. But when you think about the end, what they want the end result to be, that's just thrown in there. Yeah, it is. That's just like window dressing for them, and that's fucking weird. It is. You know, like... The increased libido. (laughs) They have no reason to do that. Absolutely It's only to make this seem like it's gonna go like a 70s slasher flick, you know? (laughs) And it doesn't even do that. And I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're still in the control room and Mordecai or the Harbinger. Or mortified, as I'd like to say. <laughs> mortified. <laughs> mortified the Harbinger is on the phone letting them know that everything's in motion. And he's talking weird again. Their blind eyes see nothing of the horrors to come. Their ears are stopped. They are the gods' fools. Well, that's how it works. Cleanse them. Cleanse the world of their ignorance and sin. Bathe them in the crimson of... Am I on speakerphone? No, absolutely not. Speakerphone, no. No, I wouldn't do that. Yes, I am. I I can hear the echo. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. I don't like Mordecai, but... The way he's like, am I on speakerphone? (laughs) And they don't like him either. They're fucking with him. They're making fun of him. I mean, I would too. Yeah, he obviously works for the facility, right? I don't know if he works for them. No, I think he does. I think it's his entire job to get the participants up the mountain. Don't go up that there road. (laughs) (sighs) I know, I know. 
And then Hadley and Sitterson start taking bets from every department in the facility about the outcome of the, quote, scenario. They do this every year. It's like the Final Four or fantasy football, whatever you want to call it, where you make predictions about who's going to win. And Truman is one of the only ones not betting because he doesn't like the implications of it. I swear to God, Truman must be new here. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not used to this whole betting on human life aspect of this job because he seems to think it's fixed based on how many controlled variables the facility has in play. And everyone else has got complaints about the betting. Yeah, I know. You know, and how it's set up. <laughs> like when that one guy is complaining to, to Hadley about it. Hey, we got uh, No, they've already been picked. What? No. Who took them? Maintenance. Maintenance? They pick the same thing every year. What do you want from me? If they were creative, they wouldn't be in maintenance. Now, you're going to have to split this if you win. You want to switch? Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? More than anything, I I just want this moment to end. (laughs) And that's where I wrote, new headcanon just dropped. (laughs) What is Josh Lyman doing working here? (laughs) Kind of how, like, we do with Sam Seaborn and Chris Traeger. Yeah. Well, this is... (laughs) This is where Josh ended up. This is the Josh Lyman, Steve Hadley. Like... (laughs) How did he become Steve Hadley? And did every, after everything goes south with the Santos administration, is this where he ends up? <laughs> and this is also... I also wrote, I suppose something can be funny and amusing without being good. <laughs> <laughs> You're GD right. Yeah. This is also where we get the cryptic explanation about how this all works, right? Do they know about this downstairs? The director doesn't care about this stuff. As long as everything goes smoothly upstairs, as long as the kids do as they're told. But then it's fixed. No, no, no. How can you wager on this when you control the outcome? Well, we just get them in the cellar. They take it from there. No, they have to make the choice of their own free will. Otherwise, the system doesn't work. Yeah. Like, they have this illusion that these kids somehow have freedom of choice when they're definitely keeping them trapped in, like, this one-mile radius. Yeah. And, like, it's just, it's so gross. And now we're in the cabin, and the kids are playing truth or dare, And before Dana can say truth or dare, the door to the cellar in the cabin blows open. This is the cellar we just heard about, right? The wind must have blown it open. That makes what kind of sense? (laughs) I love Marty. Marty is all of us. (laughs) The cellar is always where all the trouble starts. This is exactly where the trouble starts in Evil Dead as well. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And so they send Dana down first, of course, and she's got a flashlight. And And, uh, there's shit down there. There's a lot of shit down there. There's a lot of nondescript junk just lying around. Things like an old piano, a bunch of creepy dolls, old books, antique photographs. Marty, I'm not sure it's awesome to be down here. (laughs) Ah, guys... I'm not sure it's awesome to be down here. Guys? Dude, seriously? Your cousin is into some weird shit. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure this ain't his. Maybe it's the people who put in that mirror thing. They light a lantern and start looking around at all this stuff. All these objects we're seeing are going to come back in one way or another by the end of this film. The way they're all picking things up and messing with them. <laughs> Marty, can we not? 
This is not a good dare. I dare you all to go upstairs right now. And everyone in the control room at the facility is on the edge of their seats because this is the thing they're taking bets on, right? Yeah, the triggers. The scenario is going to be launched by one of these objects they're all playing with. And Dana picks up an old diary. Oh, boy. From a turn-of-the-century pioneer girl named Patience Buckner. Yeah, the Buckners used to be here. Yeah, this is the old Buckner place. Mm -hmm. And, like, honestly, when she's reading it, this sounds like some Vavitch shit. Vavitch, yes. Vavitch or the witch. Uh Like, this whole, like... A very hyper-religious cult of people who gets off on pain. Judah told me in my dream that Matthew took him to the Black Room, so I know he is killed. I want to understand the glory of the pain like Matthew, but cutting the flesh makes him have a husband's bulge, and I do not get like that. Jesus, can we not? Oh, go on. Why? I want to know. Like, as she's reading the description of the carnage in the diary, Marjorie's like, Jesus, can we not? <laughs> Black Phillip, Black Phillip. <laughs> These Buckner people were fucking cannibals who tortured people for fun as some means of reaching spiritual enlightenment. Yeah, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. And like this girl, this girl, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) This girl who's allegedly writing this diary entry has allegedly already cut off her own arm. All right. And then there's something written in Latin, right? And there's a whispering voice telling Dana to read it out loud. (laughs) Marty's, does no one else fucking hear that? (laughs) Dolores. No, no, no. Stop being a fucking baby. Kurt. It's a diary. It doesn't even mean anything. Dana. Dolores Supervivo Carl. Dolores Supplemus Carl. Dolores Igneo Animus. And we see outside a zombie hand pop up out of the ground like toast. Great! The cannibalistic Buckner family is rising from the grave. Remember American Horror Story, Roanoke? Yeah. Those are the vibes. Yeah. The Polks? Yeah, the Polks. Oh! Dana Polk. Oh, hey, weird. Yeah, weird. Ah. (laughs) And the control room goes nuts. Because I guess maintenance won the pool this year by guessing the Buckners would rise. (laughs) The one technician who's like, hey! That's not fair. I had zombies, too. Yes, you did. Yes, you had zombies. But this is zombie redneck torture family, see? They're entirely separate species. Like the difference between an elephant and an elephant seal. There's always next year. I bet on zombies. I should win. And they're like, (laughs) Citizen's like, no, that's a very important distinction. You bet on zombies in general. Everyone else (laughs) bet on the Buckner zombies, okay? You gotta remember to specify. Redneck torture family. (laughs) Hadley is big bummed, by the way, because every single year, Hadley bets on the merman because he's always wanted to see what the merman looks like. And, like, Kurt had the conch in his hand, right? He was this close to blowing into it. But, like, for, like, the millionth year in a row, Hadley's been disappointed. He's not going to see a merman this year. Sitterson goes over to the whiteboard where all of the possible bets are written down. I need to read you this whiteboard of possible scenarios, okay? We have 
werewolves, alien beasts, mutants, wraiths, zombies, which is the thing that the other technician thought she was winning on. We have reptilius. I don't know what that means. We have clowns, witches, sexy witches. (laughs) We've got demons, hell lords, Angry molesting tree. How did you write them all down? Because I paused it. We've got a giant snake. Deadites. Kevin. There's just just an entry that reads Kevin. And I'm like, what is that about? We've got a mummy. The bride. Scarecrow folk. Snowmen. A dragon bat. Vampires. Dismemberment goblins. (laughs) Sugar Plum Fairy, a merman, the reanimated, a unicorn for some reason, the Huron, which that's the name of a great lake. What does that mean? Maybe it's something that lives in the Great Lake Huron. Ooh, I don't know. Anyway. The Sasquatch slash Wendigo slash Yeti, the Doctors, the Redneck Torture Family, or the Buckners. We've got a jack-o'-lantern man, the giant, and the, quote, twins. That is literally a full list of all of the possible scenarios that could have arisen from this. They're playing a game. They are. They're literally playing a game. And these are all real things, by the way. This is not like Scooby-Doo. These are not employees in costumes who are terrorizing these kids. Everything that could have possibly been activated in that basement is 100% real. Cut back to the cabin, and Kurt and Jules are on their way to having the compulsory premarital sex that's part of every movie like this. Aren't there gases in the air making them do this? There's pheromones in the air. Oh my god. Marty is the only one questioning how weird everyone's acting, right? And it's because he's baked! (laughs) Yeah. It's because he's baked, guys! The way everybody's acting. Why is Jules suddenly a celebutard? And since when does Kurt pull this alpha male bullshit? I mean, he's a sociology major. He's on full academic scholarship, and now he's calling his friend an egghead? Kurt's just drunk. I've seen Kurt drunk. Jules, too. Well, then maybe it's something else. Doesn't anyone think that's weird? Like, (laughs) we don't just become different people when we come up to the woods. Like, I... Jules and Kurt are about to get busy on the forest floor. And I can't understate this enough. Every man in the control room is watching, by the way. They're all standing there. They're all standing there. With their dicks out. And I'm like... Uh, And Jules, at the last second, says, Not here. Not here. Not right now. And all the men in the control room groan. They just walk out. Okay, guys, that's it. Let's go. We got a job to do. Your basic human needs disgust me. Get out of here. Do we have temperature control in this sector? On it. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's the second best thing about this movie is Hadley. Hadley. (laughs) And like you said, Hadley then turns the pheromones on. And literally this gas starts getting pumped up through the ground, prompting the premarital sex. I... Apparently, there must absolutely be nudity in order for this, quote, scenario to work, right? I guess. And so the moment the boobies come out is the moment that one of the Buckner zombies appears and stabs Jules through the hand, and another stabs Kurt in the back. (laughs) 
And as predicted, Jules is snatched up by a Buckner wielding a bear trap. I think this is Daddy Buckner. And he has her head sawed off. Yeah, but it was so boring. Stop! I don't know how to... I'm sorry, <laughs> Carrie. The whole, the whole series where they get attacked the first time and Jules gets murdered, I'm like... I was, I yawned. It wasn't, it like, it just wasn't gory enough for me, I guess. Not enough blood for you. I, (laughs) like if it was a parody, I feel like it would be more overstated, but it's like happening in half darkness and like I. Maybe that's what I like about this is that, yeah, it is a parody, but it's also taking itself a little seriously. And I like movies that are, quote, made bad on purpose. That, that is just something I like. You don't have to like it. I just love it. And there's this weird reverent moment in the control room. I shit you not, Sitterson says a blessing. This we offer in humility and fear for the blessed peace of your eternal slumber as it ever was. As it ever was. I wrote, I don't get any of this. Like... <laughs> And I'm not supposed to yet, but like, I wrote, I don't even know what the stories we're talking about are anymore. Like, <laughs> so clearly they are running this scenario of the cabin in the woods in order to keep some kind of ancient deity at bay, keep it sleeping. Yeah. Like, keep it from rising from the crust of the earth and wreaking havoc on humanity. And I'm like, huh? Right? And Hadley pulls this lever. And the blood that's been spilled out of Jules's body gets absorbed into the ground and collected somewhere in the bowels of their facility. One down, four to go. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marty is hearing voices telling him to go for a walk. <laughs> He's like, can no one else hear that? Like, He's so high. He has no idea whether or not it's real. I love, this is such a great moment. <laughs> Someone's definitely talking. <laughs> <laughs> Enough! What do you say? Huh? What do you want? You think I'm a puppet, huh? You think I'm a puppet gonna do a little fucking puppet dance? I'm the boss of my own brain, so give it up. Marty goes outside and starts taking a leak. And before one of the Buckners can get to him, Kurt rushing back from the bloody encounter with Jules, snatches him up and drags him back inside. They all put it together pretty quick that they have accidentally summoned the Buckners by reading Patience's diary, right? I mean, they're intellectuals. Yeah. How they can take this seriously, I have no idea. And initially, Kurt says they should all stay together, right? Like, go room by room, fortify all the doors and windows. But then Sitterson from the control room pump some kind of mind control gas into the room Yeah, that makes Kurt pull a Fred move. We should split up. We should all split up. Mm -hmm. And so they all go into their respective rooms and Marty knocks over this lamp. And in the lamp, he finds a camera. Yeah. In the base of the lamp, and he's figured it out. Well, yeah. And like they, they like he, you see him in the facility staring at him, staring into the screen, <laughs> and he's like, "What the fuck?" And he's like <laughs> finding the wire that the camera is attached to, cut in the corner, and he's like starting to figure it out. He's like, "Oh my god, I'm on a reality TV show." <laughs> My parents are going to think I'm such a burnout. 
The way he's like, oh my god, I'm on a reality show. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks he's in the Truman Show. Yeah. And at that moment, Judah Buckner reaches through the window and drags my sweet baby Marty outside. Yeah, he's done. He's he's kind of done. He's facing off with Judah, and he's unarmed, except for the telescopic bong in his pocket, which he just extends like it's a lightsaber. Oh my god. But then he starts to run off, and Judah axes him in the back and drags him off. Two down. Three to go. Poor Marty. I really liked Marty. Bye, Marty. But the goofy archetype usually goes second or third, right? Like, this is pretty much par for the course when it comes to this narrative. Hadley pulls another lever, and Marty's blood is also collected by the control room. It's just like, why Why do they need their blood? Yeah, I don't know. The blood is filling up these stone carvings underneath the facility. It looks like they're in a cave somewhere underground. Yeah. It's really cryptic and weird. Holden and Dana end up barricading themselves in Dana's room. And when they put the bed up against the door, they discover a hidden trap door underneath her bed another way to the cellar and so they crawl down there and they find the buckner's torture chamber or as it's known in the diary the black room yeah this is where they tortured people in order to make them see god and this is where daddy buckner appears with his bear trap again and tries to pin holden down but dana incapacitates him by sticking a tire iron through his eye Oh, these fucking zombies. Remember when you could just throw a girl in a volcano? How old do you think I am? Remember when you could just throw a girl in a volcano? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the days, I guess, uh, Hadley. And, like, Kurt finds them in this black room and helps them escape through the exterior cellar door. And, like, remember, guys, this facility, they've got a job to do. And they were one of only two countries who were left to be able to do it, right? Yeah. This is where I have, meanwhile, in Japan... They're doing their own scenario, right? Yeah, and a group of elementary school girls have managed to defeat the spirit known as Kiko and trap her in the body of a frog, which, that's good for the girls... But that's bad for the facility, right? Yeah. I love Sitterson. He's looking at the monitor with all the girls celebrating. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! You seeing this? Perfect record, huh? The Japan crew should have had this in the bag. They fucked us. How hard is it to kill nine-year-olds? Zero fatality. Total loss. 
I'm telling you, you want good product, you gotta buy American. How hard is it to kill nine-year-olds? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that ha- that makes me bust every time. Oh my god! Where he's looking at those nine-year-olds, going, "Fuck you! Fuck you!" Yeah. They figured it out, though. They did. Nine-year-olds got past the thing. <laughs> they defeated the scenario. This is also where Hadley and Sitterson realize that Dana, Kurt, and Holden are escaping in the Rambler. And this, listen, this happens in Evil Dead. This happens in a lot of these movies where the only way out has a natural disaster happen to it. Like there's a bridge out or there's some kind of disaster where they can't get out on the vehicle. Well, you know, they're supposed to be. Yeah, they're supposed to be. There was supposed to be a tunnel collapse like hours ago to prevent them from escaping through the tunnel. But someone never got the order. (laughs) So the way that Sitterson rushes to make it happen. Yeah, he's running to demolition like a chicken with its head cut off. He literally has to crawl under the control panel in demolition and hotwire it so that the tunnel will blow before the Rambler gets through the tunnel. And it does. It works. They have to back like hell up out of that tunnel. And then, Carrie... Yeah, listen, arguably, this is one of the most ridiculous parts of the film. And then, Carrie... (laughs) What 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 have what has the party brought with them that's on the back of the Rambler? It's Kurt's motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> and what does Kurt think he's going to be able to do with it, Carrie? Kurt thinks he's going to be able to jump this gorge because the tunnel kind of curves around. So like standing on one side of the tunnel, you can see to the other side of the tunnel. Yeah. There's just like a gorge separating it. And Kurt Honestly, with all his alpha male energy that's been piped in through the floor, thinks that he's going to be able to get on this motorbike and jump this gorge. Look, you guys, you stay in the Rambler. I'll get help. If I wipe out, I'll fucking limp for help. But I'm coming back here. I'm coming back with cops and choppers and large fucking guns, and those things are going to pay for jewels. And Carrie, when he gets to doing it, he does get some distance out of it, doesn't he? Yeah, like, listen, for a moment, as he goes to jump that gorge, it really looks like he's gonna make it Evil Knievel style. It really does, guys. (laughs) And then he smashes into that invisible force field that we watched the bird fly into earlier. Full-on Hunger Games catching fire. Hadley throws another switch, and Kurt's blood is collected for the Ancient Ones. The way his body just keeps tumbling down and 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 down. down. It's a little comedic. Like, (laughs) so that just leaves us with the Scholar and the Virgin. Yeah. Three down. Two to go. Yeah, this is where Dana finally gets it that Marty was right. 
somebody's been monitoring them and making sure they stay trapped there. And so she and Holden get back in the Rambler and he's like, it's okay. I'll just drive past the cabin. I'll go somewhere else. And she's like, no, man, you don't get it. You don't get it. We're not going to be able to get out of here. For some reason that like the path will be blocked or the the car will run out of gas. Something's going to happen to keep us trapped here. And this is where... One of the Buckners has waited to make a dramatic entrance because Holden's driving, right? Yeah, someone finally pressed you to Buckner's button again <laughs> in the control room. Holden gets stabbed through the throat from behind. Through the seat. Oh. And through the f- through the throat. Good, okay, because I need you calm. Okay, no matter what happens, you got to stay calm. <laughs> The Rambler goes careening off into the gorge, into the river. Mm. And like the the Rambler is sinking. Holden is obviously dead. I think I was half asleep. Stop. By, by this point while Shut I was the watching fuck it. Up. While I was watching it, yeah. Dana is barely able to escape with her life Aww. before the Rambler sinks into the inky depths. And with that, the control room is celebrating. Four down, one to go. Well, th- here's the thing because They're celebrating because this means that the ritual is, quote, complete. Because what were the rules here, right? One of them needed to go first and one of them needed to go last. Dana, as the, quote, virgin, needs to go last. But her death is optional. And Truman... This is a fucking video game. It it, it does kind of... I swear. It slaps like a video game, right? Truman has questions about this. But she's still alive. How can the ritual be complete? The virgin's death is optional as long as it's last. Main thing is that she, you know, suffers. That she did. It's so strange. I'm actually rooting for this girl. She's got so much heart. You think of all the pain and the Tequila is my lady! My lady! Come on in, guys. Come on in. Come on in. You're welcome. He was so close to saying something so profound, and then someone else brings tequila into the control room. Yeah. <laughs> tequila! <laughs> They've begun to celebrate. Yeah, like Dana is still alive. She's managed to pull herself up onto shore just in time for Daddy Buckner to come through with his bear trap. And literally, she is fighting for her life on the monitor. <laughs> I love that shot where you see her. <laughs> bloodied up fighting this zombie and it's panning into the control room into the control room and everyone's having a party like it's new year's eve or some shit. yeah Sitterson is razzing the demolition team for dropping the ball with the tunnel collapse right and they're like, seriously, man, we didn't get the order. That wasn't our fault. It was some kind of power reroute from upstairs. And he's like, what do you mean upstairs? And then this bright red telephone on the wall starts ringing. And you can see Hadley and Sitterson's buttholes pucker. Yeah, no. It's like it's the bat phone mm-hmm. or like the phone from Powerpuff Girls. And it's the director on the other end. 
That's impossible. Everything was done within the guidelines. The Virgin is the only one. No, I, I am not doubting you. Which one? And they're telling Hadley they're celebrating prematurely because one of the other kids is still alive. I'm so glad about who is still alive. Me too. Because just as Daddy Buckner is about to make mincemeat out of Dana, my favorite boy is back. Yeah. Marty. He lived. Marty covered in blood. He survived. Bludgeons Daddy Buckner with his coffee cup bomb. I'm really <laughs> I really resent you calling him Daddy Buckner. <laughs> Hi. Dana! Dana, come on. It's so good. <laughs> With his bong, yeah. <laughs> you need a weapon, like. Oh my god. What would your weapon be if you were trapped in this situation? Um, <laughs> my film critique skills. <laughs> you would look that <laughs> you would look that zombie dead in the face, and you'd be like, "Listen, you're not believable." I'm underwhelmed, like, <laughs> and maybe that would ruin his ego enough not to touch me. I don't know. But here's my thing, guys. Literally, all the weed that he's been smoking. Yeah. Cannabinoids apparently make you a little impervious to the effects of the environment. Well, like, the chem department was supposed to poison every bit of weed he brought with him. They didn't. And, yeah, they missed a bag. <laughs> and whatever strain he's smoking, yeah. it's insulated him from all of their nonsense. It's why he suspected from the beginning that they were being watched. So now it's Marty and Dana. Yeah, and Marty takes Dana into the woods to this little hidey hole he's discovered. This is about where I came in when I saw it the first time. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> They're in this elevator. They've crawled down through the ground into this elevator. And Marty has been trying to make this elevator work. Somebody sent those dead fucks up here to get us. Yeah, there's no controls inside, but there's maintenance overrides in there. They know that if they try to run anywhere outside of the scenario, they'll be vaporized. And so this elevator moves kind of like Willy Wonka's Great Glass Elevator, right? Yeah, down, forwards, backwards, side to side. Like It does have glass walls and it can move in any direction. And this elevator with them inside of it finally settles at a stopping point. And, like, they go up to the glass because it just looks like darkness on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this werewolf is jumping out at them. Yeah. And then the elevator moves again. And this time, there's, like, a ghostly smoke cloud demon thing. Yeah. I think this is supposed to be the Wraith. Like, if I'm going based off what was written on that whiteboard, I think this is supposed to be the Wraith. Mm. And, like, this is where these things live. These things that the whole control room was taking bets on, they live down here in the facility. This is really specific. Okay. It reminds me of the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. <laughs> when they are going in between television channels. 
in the television universe because they're all just boxes or like stacked it, on top of each other. Or like interdimensional cable if you're a Rick and Morty person. Like they all look like they're inside different screens, but they're all inside these different glass rooms like cells they're cells yeah they're, cell- they're basically cells this is where they're being kept when they're not being used for the ritual sacrifice they're in storage yeah they're in storage yeah. and dana on the other side of the glass sees like this pinhead cenobite looking thing with a puzzle box like right out of hellraiser right mm-hmm. and marty is seeing this ballerina that's got no face She's all mouth with like four rows of razor sharp teeth. Her whole head is mouth. And like Dana recognizes the little Cenobites puzzle box. And that's where she realizes they chose the Buckners. Yeah, because they saw that same box in the cellar Mm -hmm. where everything started. They made us choose. They made us choose how we die. She starts beating the hell out of the glass, and we pan out to all these other elevators with other weird, scary shit all around them. I've got so many questions, because there are things that we see in that shot that are not on that whiteboard. Yeah, definitely. I've got so many questions. Definitely. And when I saw that panned out shot of everything, I literally turned to everybody and I was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) It's not real? Yeah. What are you telling me? See? But it is real. (sighs) It is real. It is. I'm... I'm... (laughs) He's got his head against the mic. I... (laughs) Lean Lean away from the mic, sir. So now the guys in the control room have to find a way to get rid of Marty before Dana, or none of this ritual sacrifice is going to work. Dana has to live until the last. Yeah. And, like, she's the final girl. She is the final girl. She is the Jamie Lee Curtis of this whole narrative. They get off the access elevator, and now they're inside the facility, and... Ross? They stole some guy's gun, right? On the way in? Yeah, they stole like a soldier's gun. They outsmarted him and fed him to a creature or something? I don't remember what happened. (laughs) But now they come out into the facility and the director's voice comes over the PA. Oh yeah, we're gonna get beep, 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 exposition dump. It's like half an exposition dump, Uh, truly. Whatever. You've seen horrible things. An army of nightmare creatures. But they are nothing compared to what came before. What lies below? It's our task to placate the ancient ones. As it's yours to be offered up to them. Forgive us and let us get it over with. As she's talking, they can hear the SWAT team coming for them. And as she's talking, I'm hearing that it's Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Sorry, two different things. But <laughs> they hear the people coming, you said. And they barricade themselves in this mini control room just outside this bank of access elevators. <laughs> and Dana finds this. <laughs> Dana finds 
finds this... the wrong room to let unauthorized personnel into. Yeah, Dana finds this big red button, which I swear to God might as well say the all or nothing button. Yeah, yeah. And she just, she literally, she's got a cool little action hero line. She goes, let's get this party started. I love the long silence afterwards. You just hear the elevators moving. Uh. This is my favorite moment in the movie because there's a ding. All them doors open up and every goddamn creature in that facility <laughs> comes rushing out and immediately flattens all of the shooters. Oh, shit. <laughs> gone. They're there in one frame and they're just not in the next. Like the giant cobra? Like that machine looking thing with all the scary appendages? The clown. The, the... the porcelain face stalker family? Yeah, like... Oh, there's so many neat things there's in here. so many creations. These monsters start wreaking havoc on the facility, killing everyone on the staff while Dana and Marty hide. My only remaining question is which one is Kevin? Yeah. (laughs) Dana and Marty are forced out of their hiding spot when the dragon bat smashes through the bulletproof glass. Drat. Yeah, drat. (laughs) The dragon bat. Ah, drat. Drat. You're fired. Yeah. (laughs) Can I leave? Yeah, you can. I can. No, you can't leave. I'm getting impatient. Stay here. Finish it. Pretty much the only people not in danger are the people in the control room. Hadley, Sitterson, Amy from Chem. Oh, no, they're in danger. And Truman, right? Yeah, no, they're in danger. Because, like, the security controls go down on the doors to the room. I don't even think it's that. I think they just literally bust their way through. Maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah. These monsters bust through the door. And this is where we get the scarecrow people. Yeah. The scarecrow people infiltrate the control room and Truman tries to take them down with a Mac 10. It does not work. It, it does not work. They won't go down. And they're in the middle of tearing him apart, and he produces a grenade from his pocket and pulls the pin. Blows the scarecrow folk and himself to pieces. Bye, Brian J. White. Bye, Brian J. White. (laughs) And it knocks Hadley backwards. And, like, he's on the floor trying to regain his faculties. And as he's coming to, he sees out of the smoke a merman. Yeah. Crawling towards him. It eats his face. (laughs) (laughs) He wanted year after year to see this merman, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. And the thing I love about this character design is that not only is it so ugly that it's beautiful, but there's also a blowhole on its back like a whale that, you know, dispenses the blood he's taking in. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. This is honestly how I would like to see Josh Lyman go. (laughs) So, if that had happened in the finale of The West Wing, I would have been 
fine with it. And Sitterson's death is almost unceremonious by comparison. Because he gets away. He does. He gets, he gets out, into the floor. He gets out of the control room, and as he's going around the corner, he's stabbed by Dana. Yeah, Dana stabs him. And, like, as he's dying, he's begging her. Oh, oh, please, 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 please. Kill him. So, in other words, kill Marty and then kill yourself or something. Or let yourself be killed. Like, because if the Ancient Ones rise... It's literally going to mean the end of the world. Whatever. (laughs) No, listen, bud. I'm going to have a very poignant question for you as we come to the end of this. I can't wait. We are, by the way, at the end of this. We're in that room, right? Yeah, we're in that underground chamber. With all the blood outlines of everybody. Yeah, where all the blood's being collected in these carvings of people, right? And Marty's like, what is this? And she's like, it's us. Yeah, it is us. Because there's five of them. Guys, the director, Sigourney Weaver, is here. R- Sigourney steps up from her hell office, uh, which is just <laughs> below under this chasm of darkness um, that this thing is on. Were you surprised or were you gobsmacked? I just was like, what are you doing here? Miss <laughs> Sigourney. And how much are they paying you? I mean, listen. It must have been the biggest part of the budget. <laughs> was Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Because here she, because like, it's like, I just, I'm glad to see her, mm-hmm. but at this point, mm-hmm. I'm like, nothing is going to make any of this seem worth it. Like it's too little, too late it for is, you. That is, thank you for putting it into words. It is <laughs> too little, too late. I just, I. Uh, and this is where she starts explaining. That the- there are insatiable subterranean deities that we must <laughs> sacrifice people to every year or else it will end the world and there must always be five the whore she's corrupted she dies first the athlete the scholar the fool all suffer and die at the hands of whatever horror they have raised leaving the last to live or die as fate decides. The virgin. <laughs> the way Dana's like, me? A virgin? And she goes, we work with what we have. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for laying it all out there for us, Sigourney. We figured it out already, but... I'm like, listen, guys, if they don't pull this off, if Marty doesn't die at a minimum, the Ancient Ones are going to rise at sunrise in eight minutes <laughs> and that is gonna be the end of the world only got eight minutes to save the world <laughs> grab a boy grab a girl <laughs> and see listen ross if nothing else about this plot intrigues you it doesn't i know <laughs> what 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 but but the one thing i thought would really get you mm. is the whole philosophical question that marty brings into the fold here where he's like listen If we've got to kill people in order to keep these deities at bay, maybe this should all just fall apart. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. If this is actually what was, if this is actually what was happening, if this was real, Uh and Sigourney Weaver is protecting us all from subterranean deities Mm -hmm. that we don't know about that will end the world by breaking through it. Yeah. Fuck it. (laughs) 
Because I'll tell you one thing right here, right the fuck now. I'm sick of suffering. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure everyone else is too. I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of suffering. So someone tell the merman to eat Hadley's face. <laughs> someone tell Dana to stab Sitterson. Yeah. And let's throw Sigourney Weaver off this fucking platform and not kill each other. Because here's the thing. Dana's considering it. She's got that gun, right? And she's pointing it at Marty. whole world, Marty, is in your hands, Dana. There is no other way. You have to be strong. Yeah, Dana. You're feeling strong. I'm sorry. But before she can pull the trigger, a werewolf comes up behind her and starts going to town on her neck. (sighs) And, like, Marty, even though she was just contemplating killing him, is the realist and picks up that gun and shoots the werewolf off of her. Bye. Yeah, I know. And the director and Marty start wrestling over the gun. This is my favorite part of the movie. She's, she's, this is my favorite part of the movie is Marty wrestling Sigourney Weaver. Stop. <laughs> she's literally on top of him, ready to blow his head off. But, and I will admit, this makes no sense because Patience Buckner is here oh, all yeah, of a sudden. Oh, yeah, Joe Del Ferlin wandered all the way in, <laughs> back into the facility. And <sighs> I guess it's like, oh, the thing she chose is now saving them. But, like, everyone dies anyway. Yeah, like, she's been... Inex- she inexplicably appears and axes the director in the back. And she goes flying off the edge of this platform into the underground abyss. Yeah, that where the hell office is, I guess. <laughs> Down there where the deities are. Wherever the director is liaising with the deities. (laughs) Going, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, everything is on schedule. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're going to get you five bodies. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Please don't tear the Earth's crust apart. Yeah. Director Weaver is dead. Now everything is starting to shake because the Ancient Ones are waking up. Their bloodlust has not been satiated. What time did you say we were eating in four minutes? (laughs) No. That's good. I... These deities are not getting fed on time. They're not. The Virgin has not died. Neither is the Fool. So the ritual can't be completed. This is... This is ludicrous. (laughs) It is also a movie, and I can't believe I'm letting it affect me this way. (laughs) No, yeah, guys, listen. Marty and Dana are not going to kill each other. They're just not. No, because humanity's not worth it. They're not going to compromise their own humanity to save the rest of humanity. Why? So people can keep suffering? Yeah. Let this thing fucking tear the planet apart. Like, I swear. They are going to spend their last moments of existence with just each other. And a joint. Yeah. Marty lights up. (laughs) Marty takes a giant. And I mean, God bless him for having it on him. It's not soaked in blood. It's not wet. It is ready to go. (laughs) 
listen, I bet he's feeling a small sense of satisfaction because this is literally what he said should happen from the beginning. Literally. Society should be unmade. Humanity is a scourge. Like, literally, literally, Dana says... You were right. Humanity... Time to give someone else a chance. Like humanity had their go at it. Let's give someone else a chance. And who knows? Maybe that day it'll get to the Earth's surface and poop out a bunch of new races of people. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe it's just holding a whole new race in its ass. <laughs> and it's been been it's been being fed for so many uh, hundreds of years that it's finally time to poop out the new race. As the Ancient Ones start rumbling to the surface, Dana and Marty hold hands and prepare themselves to die together. They collapse into the hell chasm. They do! That's one of my favorite things about this movie, Ross, is that there's no crazy last-ditch effort to save all of humanity. No, it quite literally should just say it is what it is before the credits roll. Like <laughs> This giant volcanic-looking hand... Punches through the crust of the earth. Positively knocking the cabin in the woods off of its foundation. And that's the beginning of the end of the world. And it just grabs at you in the screen. Oh, I love it. I don't. I, I audibly said as the credits started rolling, what the fuck? Like, listen, we don't have to agree about this. this we is, don't. This is not a hill I'm prepared to die on. And me either. I am very much in the same camp I was in when we talked about Slither. I know how you feel about Slither. And granted, you feel about Slither for very different reasons than you feel about this. But, like, I just, I think that's such a great commentary on the whole genre of teen slasher films because there are a lot of things we like about movies like that hence why that narrative is repeated so often but there's also a lot of things about those movies that are annoying right ross like right all of the teenagers like in this remote location thinking nothing bad is going to be able to get to them all of the crazy nonsensical behavior when it comes to evading whatever threat they're facing. Like, oh, let's split up. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. And like, in the end, somehow we kind of come to this sense where we're like, well, they kind of deserved it for acting so stupid. And like, that's kind of what this film for me is a giant commentary on. I'm glad you saw all that. Okay. I'm glad you garnered all that. For me, this was a 90-minute, $30 million nap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. I, I just, it just never landed for me. It, like, it was, I couldn't take it, I couldn't take it seriously because I knew the secret the whole time. Yeah. And I know that it's not meant to be a secret. I know that that's not how it's written. It's woven into the narrative. Yeah, but, like, I just feel like it would be different if we had gone through all of the shit like, I feel like it would have been spookier to go through all the shit and then learn the secret. And you know what? Admittedly, I do know exactly why that's your position. Do you want to hear my explanation why? Can't wait. You're a Shyamalan whore. 
I do love me some Shyamalan. You like the twist right there at the end. But then at the same time, I know it's supposed to be a parody, but it didn't even, re- it doesn't even feel like a parody to me. <laughs> like, I, I just, like I said, 90 minute, $30 million nap. <laughs> I, wait, you, you saw my notes? I did. I stopped taking them after a point because, like, I know what the rest of this is. <laughs> it's mediocre gore with Sigourney Weaver at the end. <laughs> And some great graphics. Yeah. You know, like, it's not, it is not at all a film that is devoid of merit in any way, shape, or form. I just, it just did not hit one James Ross McMichael in the brain the way that I hits other people. Like, like me specifically. Like, I just, I feel like I'm just such a, I'm a much bigger lover of this kind of genre, this kind of film, and therefore, I see the commentary I and like the horror. No, I'm not saying you don't, baby. I'm saying that I am just I am kind of obnoxious about it the way you're obnoxious about history and the president. This was just horrible in a different way. Uh, yeah, I know. It was I'm sorry. It was a horror <laughs> in a different way is what I meant to say, not horrible. Wow. Uh, Damn. And so like because I am so into this, like I I see the commentary, I see the nuances. I think it's good. It doesn't mean you have to think it's good. He's rolling his eyes because I use the word nuances. No, it's okay. All right, let's get out of here. I, I please. <laughs> yeah. Is it time? It is time. Lunch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my decompression from the cabin in the woods noise. Oh, oh. it was a little share. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm share. Guys, next week. Speaking of musicians, I've not seen this next one, and neither have I. This oh, is. Oh, really? No, I've heard music from this movie, but I've never actually seen this movie. Which so parody genre are we going into? Next week, we are going to be covering musician biopic films. Like, based on the year this movie was released, I feel like this is supposed to be a big takeoff of Walk the Line, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which was the Johnny Cash biopic. But what is it called instead? <laughs> Guys, next week, we will be covering the 2007 biopic parody film, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> it's John C. Riley, right? It's John C. Riley. So, so we're going to have a good time. We are going to have a good time. So look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Oh, he's so ready to get out of here. You can write us. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and not an ampersand. <laughs> do, you, do you want to tell them about the Patreon? They know. <laughs> they know. Listen to the beginning. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm not. (laughs) And And as always, always, sorry, Mom. Mom.